Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzschreiber. On today's show, texting and driving. As New York looks to crack down on texting and driving in an effort to reduce uh, vehicular accidents, uh, are they trampling on privacy? And what is this new textalizer technology that might be coming out in the next few months? And uh, how should New Yorkers and others around the country be thinking about this? Um, Is there a tension between trying to crack down on accidents while protecting the privacy of citizens, given that so much of their lives are now on their phones? Joining me to discuss this is Dan King, an advocate at Young Voices. Dan, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Evan. So before we jump into the topic, uh, this is the first time we've had someone from Young Voices. I am familiar, but listeners might not be. What is Young Voices? So Young Voices is a nonprofit group that connects the next generation of media talent with media organizations and podcasts like yourself. All right. Well, there you go. And I'm friends with a few of your writers and keep up the good work. And uh, maybe we'll link to some of that uh, in the show notes. Um, so, you know, this is New York, right? Nominated a New Yorker, as are you. And I often joke that New York leads the country in stupid ideas. Uh, <laughs> there are, I've done at least a few podcasts just because New York proposed a terrible, stupid law. Um, even though I like to think my audience is uh, all over the country, maybe some all over the world. But uh, really, New York just is constantly coming up with amazing ideas. And uh, this one's pretty great, right? So, uh, what is Textalizer? It sounds like Breathalyzer, and I'm going to guess that's not a coincidence. Oh, not a coincidence at all. It's essentially a text or a breathalyzer for your cell phone. So uh, it, it's it looks like a tablet, and what happens is if you get in a car accident, police can plug your phone into this tablet-looking device. The device then scans your phone, all the contents of it. They're working on putting some privacy protections into it, but currently... It just scans the phone. It can determine what apps you were using, when you were using them, how long you were on them, all sorts of creepy things like that. And New York is arguing that this will stop distracted driving. People will just cease to do it because they're afraid of having their data collected at at the scene of an accident. Right. So right now, um, there's a deterrent against accidents called being in an accident, right? Like (laughs) you you just don't want to do that, right? It's not like people are, uh, you know trying to get into car accidents. It's usually an involuntary thing. And generally there is all sorts of bad things that happen to the person, whether it's bodily harm, whether it's having to pay a bunch of money to fix their car, whether if they lack insurance, they might end up having to pay this. All of those are you know, deterrents, but maybe New York is saying they're not uh, robust enough. What is the deterrent in this bill? Let's say that they scan my cell phone and it shows that I was using my Google Hangouts app right before the accident and they make the determination that I was distracted, what am I facing? So it's already illegal in New York State to text and drive to use your cell phone behind the wheel, as it is in 46 other states. So there's already laws that prevent you from doing this. The goal of this is that if you cause an accident and they say you were texting, you know, the accident happened at 3.01 and you sent a text message at 3 o'clock and 30 seconds, they're going to say, well, you must have been texting and driving as the accident happened. In the, the crazy part about that is, what if you're the one that gets hit? You weren't even the one who caused the accident, but because you had your phone out, even maybe you just tapped your email real quick just to see if you had an email. But because you had your phone out, you get an extra ticket on top of that because now they can determine that was distracted driving. Are we looking at heavy fines, any criminal penalties, or just civil penalties? Uh, they can revoke your license if they determine that you were texting and driving at the time of the accident. So... I mean, that's their main goal is to, you know, quote unquote, get these people off the road. 
and you would think it was an epidemic level of texting and driving related accidents. From 2011 to 2015 in New York State, 12 people have been killed. Sure, that's a bad thing. 2,000 more have been hurt in texting related accidents. But in order to go to this level of reaching to this very, very privacy concerning technology, you would think it would have to be higher levels of accidents well, in to order play, to justify it. To play devil's advocate, though, if you're in law enforcement or you're someone who's supporting this bill, you might argue you don't actually know if it's only 12 because we're not doing the textilizing, right? Because people get into accidents and there really isn't a way unless there's alcohol involved or drugs or it's like toxicologies and things like that. We don't actually know what caused the accident all the time. Right. So they might say that number is necessarily going to be lower. What would you say to them? So in, in an instant where it is a suspicious accident, police can actually go and get a warrant or not even a warrant. They can just get a subpoena and require the data records from your phone company after the event. And that way they're still getting these records from the phone company without snooping through your phone and plugging in this device that, who knows, might accidentally collect things about you. You know, the text messages you sent. We have our banking on our phone. We have our most intimate conversations on our phone. That's all right there. And you're just handing it over to police just because you were in an accident. Now, police, let's say they're doing that investigation, right? And police often complain about the onerous nature of getting a warrant. Um, you know, we can have a separate libertarian discussion about that, but um, there's a practical thing here, right? So um, if you have one of the four major nationwide carriers, it is general practice that they they log metadata. So that is not the content of your phone call or the content of your text message, but the fact that you made a call or received a call or sent a text or received a text, and it says the time, duration, and the other person involved, right? That's only for traditional calls and traditional SMS texting, which is on the decline. Mm -hmm. So maybe the cops here and the people who support this bill are saying, look, the warrant doesn't give us enough information because now on the phone, I've got a million different apps. I could have been using Signal, which is encrypted. I could have been using Google Hangouts, Facebook Messenger, iMessage, um, kick snapchat i mean there's so many sure. right and the cops are going to say are you expecting me to serve 40 warrants or 100 warrants based on every app you have maybe there's a point to this where the metadata they're currently getting is not sufficient i mean do you have would you have a response to that objection so i i guess my my first response to that objection would be yes they should get a warrant because that's <laughs> what the fourth amendment says you know that they're not supposed to search your records without a warrant and that extends to data. I mean, the founding fathers probably didn't have data in mind in the 1700s, but I, I would say it extends to it because that's where we keep our most intimate details. And the whole reason behind the Fourth Amendment was to protect those intimate details from general warrants from the British back in the day. So it's it's the same general concept here. Um, and let's say you were in the accident and you had papers in your glove compartment and there was like a notebook in there. And for whatever reason, let's say this is pre-internet age, they had reason to believe you were futzing around with a notebook or writing things down or drawing or whatever the hell stupid activity you were doing while driving. Would they need a warrant for that under current law? I, or because I, it's the accident, they can just search everything in your car? I don't actually know how that works. I, I'm not entirely sure on that either. I mean, there's a lot of discretion at the scene of an accident. You kind of lose you know, some of your rights because at that point, there may be a probable cause argument that maybe you were texting and driving or you know, fiddling around for papers like you mentioned. But like you said, there's so many other ways that distracted driving can occur without using a phone. You could have been fiddling with your radio when you got in the accident. Are they going to 
find a way to look at your radio and see if you touch the dial right as it happened. You know, it's at some point you have to push back on the erosion of liberty for a false sense of safety. Um, in the guy who's really behind this bill, he's been pushing it is uh, Ben Lieberman, who is an advocate. He lost his son in a texting and driving accident, and actually he went through the procedures to get a subpoena and find the records of the person who got in an accident and killed his son. And they added on those additional charges once they determined, hey, it was distracted driving. So there's already protections for someone who's harmed in a texting and driving accident. So this technology is not currently on the market, but you were able to describe how it worked earlier. So I'm guessing there have been demonstrations or, or the company, and we're talking about uh, Celebrite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure this company has come up in previous podcasts. They might have been involved in the Apple FBI case. And I think that was the company that ended up cracking that phone when Apple refused. But yep. uh, listeners can check me on that. Um, but this is an Israel-based tech company, and they're still developing the device. So... Has the company made any assurances against uh, some of the privacy concerns saying, look, we're not going to give the police contents of your message or it's not going to be too invasive? Or have the police themselves made any assurances? Essentially, let's assume this bill passes. However, you know, we may be very concerned about it and it's a bad bill, but let's assume a world where it passes. Can privacy advocates take any comfort in the idea that law enforcement or the company will be putting in safeguards? So advocates of the bill continue to say it will only look at they like to say your swipes and types in that. <laughs> oh, wow. Look, that is just so catchy. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, how can you oppose a bill that rhymes? But <laughs> so, so they argue that it only collects metadata in that it can only tell that you were texting. But every other promise they've made on this bill so far, they've kind of lied about. So they they said originally that it couldn't determine what apps you were using in ABC News. I think it was ABC News, one of the major ones, (laughs) did a uh, did a display with it where he drove around in a parking lot, used his uh, Facebook, he used WhatsApp and he sent an email and a text message. And when he got back to the starting point and they plugged in the textilizer, it mentioned all four of those apps and it mentioned exactly when he used them, although before um, that display was put on, we were promised, oh, no, they don't know what apps you're using. They just know that you are typing and swiping on your phone. So anytime they give you this promise of privacy, you should usually be skeptical about it. Yeah, and of course, there's just this general issue of metadata as a privacy concern, right? So yes, obviously, the the nuclear option is rifling through all of your emails and texts and actually seeing the content or somehow having a recording of every call, right? But you can tell a lot about a person based on metadata. There's a reason the NSA used to collect everyone's phone metadata, um, literally everyone. This was a dragnet surveillance program, which was shut down because of how horrendous uh, it was in terms of violating the Constitution. But um you know, taking a, a step further, like Uber can tell if you're having an affair based on your patterns. And there's a reason that companies like Uber, Google, Facebook, whatever, they anonymize data, they put in place protections because they have incentives of private companies to secure data. But this is kind of in the aggregate sense. And when it's on your phone, there really is not that sensitivity. It's not anonymized. It's clearly your data. It's clearly in your phone. 
And um, there's issues of uh, encryption here. If my data are encrypted on the phone, is the cop going to force me to decrypt? Is the machine the one doing the decrypting? If I use a fingerprint scanner, are they going to literally take my hand and force me to unlock it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I have a, a, a very long numerical passcode, are they going to force me to divulge that? I mean, how are they dealing with any of these potential scenarios? Is the device itself just going to crack open everything? Or are they going to compel people involved in an accident to break into their own phones. And one of the most troubling questions that I can't even seem to get an answer to anywhere is what if you don't have a phone or you don't have your phone with you? In the event of an accident, you can have your license revoked for failing to turn over your phone if this bill gets passed. What if you don't have a phone or you honestly don't have your phone with you? Are they going to revoke your license for saying, oh, he's refusing to turn over his phone? How do you know? How do you know I have a phone? How do you know I have it with me? And um, to go to your point on metadata, yeah, it, that can tell you a lot about somebody. If I'm calling, you know, a, a, a doctor who specializes in STDs or something like that, yeah, they might not have the exact content of what I'm saying to them, That's still but sensitive. they know who I called and they can kind of figure out what happened there. Yeah, and given all these you know, issues I just raised about compelling people and Fourth Amendment and, and it's et cetera, et cetera. What do current laws say about this? Um, is there a national precedent? Has the Supreme Court ever weighed in on a case that is similar to this? Are we essentially going to see a, the potential for a Supreme Court showdown? If New York goes ahead and passes this bill, I can imagine that there are many privacy and civil liberties groups, maybe the ACLU, maybe even groups like Tech Freedom that would have an interest in signing amicus briefs in that case. Um, what does the current law say about such behavior? So in 2014, the Supreme Court ruled that in order to search a cell phone, you do need a warrant. And as you mentioned, the ACLU has already voiced a lot of concerns about this. They've been on TV over and over again saying, hey, we're all for stopping distracted driving, but we're also for protecting basic civil liberties. And the Electronic Frontier Foundation has come out against this as well. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, tech freedom would probably be opposed to this as well. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of troubling uh, um, aspects of this bill and not a lot of reassuring statements from legislators or from Cuomo. Cuomo keeps saying... Well, yeah, we're going to look at the civil liberty side of it, but from the second this technology was introduced, he was all on board. Yeah, and and there's, you know, political considerations in New York. People get all in a frenzy about traffic and uh, they lowered the speed limit in New York City recently and Cuomo and de Blasio have this like ridiculous rivalry going on. So they always have to be one upping each other. But there's my uh, New Yorker complaining about our politics, which are terrible. Um, But um but getting back to the technology itself, um, and even the lack of the technology, so let's say that is the bill really detailing the procedures and what the restrictions on cops are? Is there anything preventing the cop from searching my phone the old-fashioned way? Let's say I did not use a passcode or I do not have a fingerprint lock, and I the phone happened to be unlocked when the cop took it. Yes, maybe under the law they are authorized to use the machine. But are they, is there anything preventing them from just saying, oh, I have your phone now and I'm going to use my fingers to rifle through your phone, not the textilizer? That's one of the big concerns the ACLU has voiced is there's not really a protection for that. And there's, there's not really a protection for any of the contents of your phone either. They just kind of keep reassuring you that, well, we have goodwill. We won't do it. And that 
the device, when it is finally in production, will not look at your data. Even though it can, though, Even, right? It, That's it one of the issues. It has the that, capability to do so. Yeah, this company does have the technology to essentially just extract all the data from the phone. Now, the law enforcement agencies can say, well, we won't use that. But, I mean, we, we've seen law enforcement agencies say, we're never going to use this uh, military equipment we purchased from the federal government and ask the people of Ferguson, Missouri, how that worked out. Yeah. So there are clearly concerns when law enforcement has the technology and they promise not to use it. I don't know if that's a promise people can assume they're going to keep. And even when they promise to only use it in certain circumstances, they almost never stick to those circumstances. Like the Stingray, for example, which can find out exactly where you are based on your cell signal. That's intended for only military and terror investigations. It's been used for robberies. It's been used for a guy who stole $60 worth of groceries. Trump just used it to deport an illegal immigrant who hadn't committed any crimes other than coming here illegally. So they continue to promise us that these tools aren't going to be abused, and then they just go and abuse them. So where is this going, right? We've got a bill here, and clearly, given the state of New York politics, there are going to be a lot of people who support it. Uh, The technology is three months away. I brought up the possibility of Supreme court challenges or, or just court challenges that maybe go up to the Supreme Court. Do you see this bill passing? I I have like a, a hunch that it actually may because there's so many people who the second they hear something bad, texting and driving, drinking and driving, we have to do something is the immediate yeah, What response. is government doing to fix it? Right? Exactly. Yeah. And my general rule of thumb, I think it was somebody at Reason who said this, if a bill is named after someone, it's almost always a bad idea. And they're calling this Evan's Law after the guy I mentioned earlier whose son was killed in a texting and driving. Yeah, because it's sympathetic. Yeah, they like to appeal to emotion. And when you appeal to a legislator's emotion, a lot of time they just lose all interest in the Constitution. They lose all interest in civil liberties, and they just want to help. And I I don't think that New York lawmakers – are, you know, malevolent. I think they're probably well-intentioned. Right. But... Yeah, and, and of course, this could spill over into other states. Are we seeing other states uh, consider this legislation as well? Yeah, uh, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Illinois are all considering it, but New York is kind of really, really pushing it. As, of course. Yeah. New York leads the way in stupid, always. <laughs> <laughs> that should be like the new slogan on the license plate yeah. instead of Empire State. Okay. <laughs> Leading the way. You got to be first in something. And uh, they are in passing bad legislation. And I think this would be just yet another example. So giving people, you know, things to look out for, there are going to be hearings on this. Are there ways that, uh, you know, New York uh, residents can weigh in, uh, whether you agree or disagree? I mean, to what extent will the public be getting its say on this? So it got out of the first committee. It passed through it. It's going into a second committee now. And the legislators are supposed to be hearing from people on both sides. They haven't said exactly who those people will be. Um, but they are reassuring us that they will take into account civil liberties. But I, I just have a hard time believing that based on how vocal of a supporter Cuomo and even some legislators have been of this bill. I have a hard time thinking that they're actually going to bring in you know a team from the ACLU to 
to voice their concerns. All right. Well, listeners, you have that to look out for. And this is kind of an interesting case of government being very forward looking when it comes to technology. But that's not exactly, I think, what we have in mind here at Tech Freedom when we say government needs to take a forward looking approach. We don't mean anticipate a invasive technology being invented and then pass a bill to get a head start on adopting that invasive technology. Uh, But hey, look, government is embracing technology, not always in the exactly right way, but I guess baby steps, right? that's it for today's show. We'll keep you posted as this case develops, and I'm sure privacy advocates are going to have a lot to say about this. My guest has been Dan King, an advocate of Young Voices, and uh, we'll link to their website so you can check out the great work that the writers and others are doing. Dan, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Evan. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Let us know what you think of the show. Please don't do that while driving. Uh, find this podcast in the iTunes store. Please write us a review. Again, not while driving, because it will help others find the show. Uh, what we don't need is uh, you getting into an accident and then saying, I was looking up the tech policy podcast right before I got into the accident. Please don't do that. Actually, you know, all press is good press, so maybe do do that. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) anyway, uh, that's it for today. We'll see you next time. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.